may be seated. Well, if you want to follow along in the scripture that I'm going to be reading today, we are in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. That is Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And this story here, to, to just give you uh, some background as we go into it, this is going to be the visit of the Magi, or, or what we traditionally call the three wise men. And this is after Mary and Joseph have learned about Jesus, they've had Jesus, and now they are at home with him, and the Magi come to visit them. And this is chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined, them the, determined from them the exact time the star would appear. Or, excuse me, the exact time that the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Well, I... uh, I love the Christmas season, and one of the things I love about the Christmas season is not just the lights, not just, uh, well, I'll be honest, I don't like any of the new songs. Uh, and by new, I mean anything that's not in a hymn. I like, I like the Christmas carols. I like the traditional old songs. Uh, I love to hear those. And by the way, I don't listen to them until after Thanksgiving. That's when Christmas officially starts in my book. But anyway, so here we are the week of Christmas. And I don't know about your household, but we've had a little bit of Christmas music on. We've decorated the tree. And one of the things we try to do is we try to go through all of these Christmas movies that, especially the funny ones that we enjoy. So there's a few of them out there that we like. We like the movie Elf. We like the movie Home Alone. Uh, my favorite, and I think it's the best Christmas movie ever made, is A Muppet's Christmas Carol. That is, I hear a fan out there. That is by far, I, I love that movie. It's just, it's funny. It retells the Christmas Carol story uh, by Charles Dickens really well. And, and one thing I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed this too, is when you watch these movies, there's something missing. And that something is Jesus. You watch all of these movies and they try to tell what Christmas is about. And and inevitably, as you go through these movies, you'll hear that, well, Christmas is about family. 
Well, Christmas is about generosity. Well, Christmas is about Santa Claus or something like that. And sure, the movie is funny and the movie is friendly and it's great for the family, but as you watch them, you start to ask the question, why isn't Christmas about Jesus? Where has Jesus gone? It's interesting when you walk into stores. I had one lady I was in a small group with a while back. She said she was so excited when she walked into the store because she saw a big display in the back of the store that read, I still believe. And she said she got so excited because she thought, there it is. There's a statement about belief in Jesus. This store is not afraid to give it. And she went back to see what was on display, and there's a big inflatable Santa Claus that says, I still believe. It's like, oh my goodness, that's not what the Christmas season is about. It's about Jesus. Well, the story we have before us is a group of people that are on the search to find who this Jesus is, and that's the Magi. And as the story opens up, we know that Jesus has been born to Mary and Joseph. We know that they are back in their home uh, in Bethlehem, or they're in a home in Bethlehem, and they are looking for him. And when they arrive, they go to the city of Jerusalem. And when they arrive in Jerusalem, there's sort of some stirring that takes place. Now, Jerusalem was a good-sized city, so you could easily get lost in the city, but it's also a small enough city that if a big group arrived, people would notice. And I was trying to think, what would it be like in the city of Eau Claire? Like, who could arrive in the city of Eau Claire that we would take notice of? And I was thinking, first, the Green Bay Packers. And I thought, that's too obvious, that one is, you guys, I, I know most of you people would know the news of the Green Bay Packers coming before anybody else did, and you would know when they arrived and you would be waiting for them. So I thought, no, the Green Bay Packers are too obvious. And I thought, what about the Minnesota Vikings? No, I, I think that's another one. We've got some fans here. They're enough of a rival. And then I was thinking, well, what about the Chicago Bears? Oh, my, I don't think you guys would let the Chicago Bears in the city of Eau Claire. So I, I, I was trying to think, what team could arrive in the city of Eau Claire that you would notice that would take you by surprise, but then also you wouldn't quite care about? And unfortunately, I'll say that might be the Detroit Lions. There's a few of us here that would be excited, but that line would be four people long. (laughs) But you would notice, wouldn't you? You would notice the van that was parked out wherever they would be. You would notice that there was a little bit of stirring going on, but you wouldn't be angry, you, you wouldn't be upset, and you wouldn't be too concerned. You would just notice that they arrived, and you would start to ask the question, why are they here? What are they doing in town? Well, that's sort of what happens when the Magi arrive. They come with enough stuff that the city of Jerusalem is stirred by it. They know that an entourage has come in, but they're not quite sure. They're not opposed to it because Jerusalem was on a major trade route in that part of the world. And so as they're coming in, they were probably just thinking, well, maybe they're here to trade some really expensive stuff. Or maybe they're on their way to uh, uh, Rome or, or some big empire. I, I don't know why they're here in this city. Well, when they ask to meet with the king, they meet with King Herod, and they give their reason as to why they're in the city. 
And the reason they're in the city is they say, well, we're astronomers. We're from the east. Uh, We've been studying star constellations our whole life, and we noticed a peculiar star that was risen over your city. And so we thought we would come to check that out. Now, here's why the star is important. It's because a lot of times astronomers, when they notice a new star, or when they notice that one had faded away, they would think to themselves, well, maybe that means there's a new king coming. So when a star would disappear, they would sometimes conjecture that, well, maybe a king will fall in battle. And so they would write it down and they would distribute that. When a new star appeared, they would say, well, that's peculiar. Maybe a new king is going to be on the throne. So I think you see where I'm going with this. When they start to tell Herod that there's a new star above his city, but he's supposed to be king of the Jews, what do you think he's concerned about? What's going to happen to me? And that's exactly what happens. He hears that they're looking for a new king, and they even say, well, he's the king of the Jews. And, and Herod steps back, I guess, and, and thinks to himself, hold on a minute. I've been appointed the king of this city. I've been appointed the king of these people. What do you mean there's a new king coming into town? You see, Herod was a king that was appointed by Caesar. Caesar was uh, putting people in charge all over his empire, and one of the people that he put in charge was Herod. He was going to be king of the Jewish people, and he was going to rule them. He was going to be in charge. But here's the problem. The Jewish people didn't like Herod because in their minds, he wasn't even fully Jewish. And so in their minds, he had no authority over them. He had no way of being their king. And Herod knew it. And he was constantly concerned that somebody was going to usurp his throne. In fact, he killed so many people around him that Caesar himself said it was safer to be a pig in Herod's home than a relative. And so when Herod hears the news that there is a new king that's born in his town that is destined by way of this star from Magi from the east, he begins to be very concerned that this king is here to take his job. So Herod devises a plan. Well, first, he has to look into it, which I find interesting. Here he is. He's the king of the Jewish people. He's supposed to rule over them, and he has to ask the chief priest and the scribes what this is all about. And so he gathers all of the people that are in charge of the scriptures and he checks with them to make sure, what, what is this uh, king, uh, you know, I thought I was the king. Aren't, aren't I the fulfillment? And they look at the scriptures and they say, well, were you born in Bethlehem? I wasn't. Well, then you're not the Messiah. And the chief priests and the scribes, they look into the scripture and they find in Micah chapter 5 that there's a prophecy that the Messiah, the king who's going to come and rule over the people for God, is actually going to come from Bethlehem, this small town outside of Jerusalem. And so Herod hears about this, and he devises a plan. He thinks to himself, if I can get the Magi to find this new king, and for them to tell me where he's located, I can then go and kill him while he's a baby. That way, no king is going to usurp my authority. And so he says that to the Magi. He says, listen, I, I would love to give up my power. I would love to hand the throne over to this child. If you let me know where he is located, I'll come and I'll worship him with you. You just come back and let me know. 
Well, the Magi, they, they don't know really anything about Herod, so they hear that and they think, well, we'll go to Bethlehem and maybe we'll head back. And when they go, they see the star and the star is over a house and, they, and the scripture says they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They, they're excited that here is the king that they've been waiting for for all of their travels. And when they approach him, they worship him. And how they worship him is they give him gifts. And that's often a way that, that you would uh, honor a king, especially a newborn king, is you would give him gifts, you would greet the family, you would be excited for him. Uh, when we were down in, in seminary, it was interesting. We had a, a, quite a, a diverse group of students at that university. We had students from all over the world, students from Singapore, from South Korea, from Africa. And so it was great to get to know different cultures. And, and one of the cultures we learned about, uh, one of our friends had a baby, and, and he said that all of their friends from South, South Korea they said, well, we like to give families a month with the baby all alone before we ask to come and visit. And he said, wow, that's awesome. He said, boy, I would love that. And then he said, because my African friends, they want to be there the day you arrive home with the brand new baby to greet you in your house. And he said that's exactly what it was like. They just had their baby, and all of their friends from Nigeria and Kenya, they wanted to come right over to see the baby. And I don't know about you, that's what I like to do. When my sister had her kids, we were up there. She didn't even have the kids yet, and we were in the waiting room just waiting for that door to open. We wanted to see those babies right away. Well, when the Magi go, they want to see Jesus. They want to greet him. They want to support the family. They want to worship him. And so they do that. And as they leave, the Lord uh, tells them in a dream not to go back to Herod. Herod is tricking them. And so they find a different route out of the city back to their homeland. This story is interesting because if you notice, there's different groups of people and their relationship to Jesus Christ. The first group that I notice is somebody like King Herod, who has been appointed as king. He's in the midst of the Jewish culture. If there's anybody that should know the Jewish culture, it should be king of the Jewish people. But Herod doesn't care about any of it. Herod, Herod only cares about his own authority and his own way of doing things. So no matter how close he is to the Jewish people, he wants nothing to do with them. And I find this really interesting because I've ran into people like that. People maybe that have grown up in church, people maybe that at least are connected with the church to some degree, but they've decided they want nothing to do with it. We live in what's called a post-Christian culture. And in this post-Christian culture, we're finding that church is not a priority and knowledge of the scripture is almost unheard of among people outside the church and even among people within the church. It used to be maybe a hundred years ago that when you moved to a new community, the first thing you did was you find a church that you're going to attend. And when you find the church that you're going to attend, you participate in the church as regular as often. Well, now we're running into, after generations of slowly slipping away, a post-Christian culture that doesn't even understand what church is for. 
It's actually amazing to me the number of people that I meet that have never been to church in their life. I had friends growing up. I'm not joking. I didn't know cartoons played on Sunday morning. I assumed that the TV just was never on. That, you know, well, who would watch TV on a Sunday morning? You go to church, don't you? And I remember there was one Sunday I was sick and I, sick and I got to stay home alone, so I, I wonder, and I turn it on. What? Adventures of Batman and Superman? I've been missing this the whole time? But I had friends that would ask me, what's it like going to church every Sunday? And for me, it was the exact opposite of their experience. They, they never went to church. I always went to church. It was completely different cultures in our household. But we're living in that kind of culture, sort of like a Cain Herod culture that, that you're within arm's length. You're, you're, you're surrounded by it, but you don't want to participate in it. And we're going to run into people like that where church, not, not just church, a relationship with God is not heard of. It's not considered. Or if it is considered, it's the idea of God, not necessarily the person of Jesus Christ that we present. And we're going to run into that more and more as we continue in this post-Christian culture. We need to be ready to not be surprised by it. That when we go and share the gospel, we're going to share it with people that ah, maybe I've heard of church. I know my grandma goes. I know that our family is kind of connected, but we've never went. And we've got to look at ways that we're going to share the gospel with that understanding that lets them know they're always invited. They're, they're always invited back into our church. And you know, one of the questions I always get, it's, it's probably my favorite question when I say, well, I'm an assistant pastor at Eau Claire Wesleyan. They will say, what's a Wesleyan? And they know that there's different names for different churches, and sometimes they'll ask the question, well, is that kind of like a Lutheran, or is that kind of like a Baptist? And you know what my answer is to people that have never been to church? Yep, yep, it's pretty much the same. We, yep, that's, I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of when we started and who we broke off from, because at the end of the day, what I'm most concerned about with somebody that doesn't know who Jesus is, is do they know who Jesus is? So come into our church. We want to teach you about Jesus Christ. The second group of people that we see here in this passage are the chief priests and the scribes, the people that are so close to the Scripture, and yet when they open the Scripture and they know that Jesus should be born in Bethlehem, what do they do? Nothing. Do you notice that? King Herod... The king who's always afraid that his throne is going to be usurped comes with the question, uh, where is the king supposed to be born? And they say in Bethlehem. And, and it says the whole city was stirred up with this question. When the city found out that the magi were coming to worship the new king, they were all concerned about it. So the chief priests and the scribes, they know that Herod is asking about a prophecy of a king that could very well have been born that day. And they give him the answer. Well, it says here in Micah that he should be born in Bethlehem. And, and maybe it's about that time. And then what do they do with that information? Nothing. They have it right in front of them. And they don't even travel with the magi to see if Jesus could be their Messiah, the one who would rule over them. 
That's a real shame. And unfortunately, we're going to run into people like that. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you feel like you're in that place where you've connected with the Scriptures, you've connected with, with the messages at church, but you just don't feel like you've connected with Jesus. That's a difficult place to be in. And you know, one of the things that we truly believe in is that only God can bring you into a relationship with Jesus. And so maybe if you're in that place, maybe, maybe you're in that place where you're trying to connect, but you just haven't connected with him, what I encourage you to do is keep searching for him. Don't be like the chief priest and the scribes where you read the scripture and you walk away from it not trying to find him. God will honor your obedience to searching for him. Because at the end of the day, it is not you searching for God. It is God calling you to search for him. It is God leading you along the way. But what it takes on our part is that when we read, when we encounter God, we want to encounter him more. We want to be in his presence. We want to be where he's at. And can I, can I be honest? I, I know I've been honest this whole time, but now I'm going to be really honest here. My dad is a pastor. And growing up, like I said, I went to church every Sunday. Every Sunday, unless I was sick. And I apparently wasn't sick too often because I didn't know cartoons played on Sunday. But there were days, I can tell you, I didn't really want to be there. There were some Sundays as, as a kid and as a teenager, I really just didn't want to go to church. I would have rather slept in. But there was an obedience that I had to have, mainly to my dad. He's here today, by the way, so you can ask him questions about it. But there was also just a plain obedience to God to know that God will honor when I show up. God will honor you when you search for him. He will honor you when you go looking for him because he wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants you to come and worship him so that he can tell you about himself. And the final group of people that we have here in this passage, of course, is the Magi. And the Magi come from the east. And what I find so interesting about the Magi is they are as far removed from from the Jewish culture as you could imagine in that day. Jerusalem was under Roman rule, which means if you were a Roman citizen, there was a chance that you heard about Judaism. There was a chance at least that you heard about this city in the region of Palestine called Jerusalem and you heard about these people that have been given a religious exemption so that they can worship their God in their temple and maybe you heard that they call themselves the Jewish people. But you go all the way east, possibly where these uh, wise men, where these astronomers are from, they might not have ever heard of Judaism. And so as they're studying the stars, as they're looking uh, just to see what the gods might tell them, they see this star. And who speaks to them in the midst of this? God himself. And they begin to do their research, and they find out about this group of people uh, uh, over, uh, over in the city of Jerusalem that, that are expecting a king at some point, and so they go out to search for him. The group of people I'm talking about are the people that we might not ever expect to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but 
I constantly have a few people on my mind that I wonder if they'll ever be in a relationship with Jesus because of the life that they live, because of, of the amount of ignorance they have to the faith, or the amount of just not caring about the Christian life. And there's constantly that question that I bat around, and I'm sure you do too with people in your life, is that somebody that would ever get to know Jesus Christ? And the passage we have before us about the Magi answers that question, yes. God is willing to reach out even to those people that we would least expect to know who God is. It's rather incredible the way that God chooses to work. As you look throughout Scripture, it is absolutely incredible when you find out that God tends to use the person that we least expect could be used in anything for God. My favorite use of this is back in Genesis with the use of Jacob. You talk about a horrible person. Go read the book of Genesis and read about Jacob. He was mean to his brother. He tricked his father. He had no respect for his household. He ran away. He tricked his father-in-law. He just was a bad person, and yet God chose to use him on a regular basis until his life was changed to follow him. The Magi that come and visit don't know who Jesus is. They would have never guessed in a million years as to who this boy was. But it was God that reached them all the way back in their home. And it was God that guided them through a star. It was God that led them to Bethlehem. It was God that showed them the exact house to go to. And it was God that brought them into a relationship with Jesus Christ where they were able to worship him, even though they had nothing to do with his people. This is miraculous. So as we leave this place, we have a few questions to ask ourselves. First of all, who is someone we haven't thought of that God wants to lead to Jesus? That's always a question that we can ask is, God, who are you trying to lead? Because oftentimes what we do in, in church ministry is we have ideas as to who we want to reach in the community. And, and I'm not saying God doesn't guide this, but we oftentimes are coming up with, well, what about this community? What about that community? Who can we reach next for the gospel? But something we can do is to stop and ask ourselves, God, who are you trying to reach in the community and would you call me to reach those people with you? Oftentimes, it's the people that we don't think of that God is preparing for us to meet with. This is God's grace. This is God doing something he doesn't have to do, but he's doing it on our behalf. He's doing it on other people's behalf. So let's ask that question as we leave this place. God, who are you trying to reach that I haven't thought of? And would you call me to help reach those people? The second is asking just simply the question, God, what can I do now to help in this endeavor? What can I do now to help people that you have called to find Jesus? And what a perfect time to do this here in the Christmas season as we walk into the stores. Although I've noticed the stores, they're getting rid of Christmas decorations already. But in any case, as you walk into the stores and you see those signs that say, I still believe and it's Santa Claus, maybe there's somebody there that God would be leading you to to remind them, you know what, the Christmas season 
isn't about this Santa Claus. It's about Jesus Christ. Maybe there's somebody in your family that, that you've not been able to talk to. Maybe this is that time that God has been preparing them for you to speak the gospel into this life and remind them, you know, we celebrate Christmas because God came into the world to save us from sin and death. Let's leave with those questions and let's leave knowing that God is calling people to find him today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you would go ahead of us. You would find people that are lost. You would find people that have never heard of you. God, we thank you that you would lead us to those people and you would lead those people to yourself. And we pray as we leave this place that you would let us know who they are. Lay that on our hearts. Let us pray for them. Lord, let us meet with them. And Lord, we pray that you would encounter them wherever they're at and draw them to your son, Jesus. Amen. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless.